when we started this series a few weeks ago, we learned that Jesus said that if you follow him, that if you follow, follow him, he wants to make you into something. He wants to make you into fishers of men. And to follow is to fish. But we're scared to. We're afraid. We're scared to talk to people about our faith in Jesus. And beyond all the potential social rejection that we talked about last week that we're afraid of, one of the big reasons that we're afraid to talk about our faith is because we have made it so complicated. In fact, one of the, pe- one of the reasons people you love the most, people that you know who have rejected Christianity, is because they don't even understand it. And, and, and a group to blame is people like me, people who do what I do, preachers and pastors and Christians. They've made it so complicated. But the gospel or the good news, it's not complicated. And neither is fishing for men or women. It's not complicated. In fact, what's amazing about what we call, call the gospel, which just literally means good news, that we're going to talk about in a minute, is that no matter where a person comes from, what language they speak, uh, where, what country they're from, uh, no matter how wonderful or dysfunctional their family of origin is, no matter how many times they've been married, if they have ever been married, no matter how young or old they are, everyone, everybody gets in the same simple way. There are not 57 variations of becoming a Christian to match every kind of nationality and language and culture and gender and denomination. It's very, very simple. But preachers and Christians have made it sound very, very complicated. That to be a Christian, you have to believe this, and you have to believe that, and you have to understand this and that, and you have to think and dress a certain way, and you have to vote a certain way, and you have to jump so high and duck so low, and there are 148 things that you have to do and believe, and then maybe, maybe, you know, you can be a Christian, but then it's an iffy proposal even then. So consequently, there are people who have rejected what they think is Christianity, when the truth is that they've rejected a character or a distortion of Christianity, the vision that Jesus had for his movement. So this morning, I want to help with that, because this is a big deal. And especially for the men in the room, as I said, uh, we all, men and women, we all have the opportunity to be a part of something so big that God has invited us into. But men, this is an area where the ladies, as I've said, they just seem to be much less afraid and much less fearful than we are. And I respect and I admire them for that. But men, we don't want to be cowards. We don't want to get down the road of our life and look back at times and go, what a coward I was. What was I so afraid of? Look at the opportunities that I missed. What was I so afraid of? And if you missed last week, please go back and listen to that message because today in our brief time together, I'm going to answer two questions, not so that you'll have the information for the very first time, but so that you and I can concisely and simply and accurately explain to people what it is to become a Christian and have peace with God. And I want to do it in such a way that it will lodge into your heart and into your mind and for the rest of your life as you talk to children, people you care about, people you love. Someone finally comes to the point as a friend and they go, okay, how do I do this? How do I want to do this? How do I do it? How do I become a Christian? What does it mean to have peace with God that you can simply and succinctly explain it to them? 
Because you don't have to be able to unravel all the mysteries of evolution and creation to become a Christian and have peace with God. You don't have to understand Revelation and the Antichrist and and the symbols and the gray rider on the back of a horse and the harlot of Babylon. You don't have to understand the law and which John is it and how many Josephs there were and how does the Bible all fit together and how do you pronounce it? Is it Malachi? Is it Malachi? Just like you don't have to know any of that to become a Christian. But unfortunately, we've made it so complicated. But God has made it so extraordinarily simple. So I want to answer two questions in a way, in such a way that you for the rest of your life can answer these two questions. And the two questions are, what does a person need to know to become a Christian? And what does a person need to do to become a Christian? What do you have to know and what do you have to do? And the great news is that the answer to both of these questions, to these two questions, is the same for everyone who has ever walked the planet or who ever will. And the answers are so extraordinarily simple. And the good news is, the other good news is, is it could be that you're not a Christian yet or that you're trying to figure it out and you've got lots of questions and it may be that what you're afraid of or what you have pushed back on or rejected isn't the real thing anyways. So I'm so glad that you're going to listen to this message. Or it could be that you're a total skeptic. You're just, not, you're just not sure if you believe any of this. And I'm so glad that you're listening. Because while it may be for the rest of your life that you reject Christianity, I'm thrilled that you may for the first time understand exactly what it is that you're choosing to reject. So if, if you have a Bible or a Bible app and you would like to, I invite you to turn to John 3.16. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was written by one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, his disciple John, as in James and John, uh, two brothers who were, were two of the first four that Jesus invited to follow him. This is the John who at one point, James uh, named he and his brother James Boanerges, which meant thunderbolts or sons of thunder, which sounds really awesome, but Jesus did not mean it as a compliment at the time. And, and John followed Jesus everywhere. So he was an eyewitness to everything Jesus. And after spending three years with Jesus, after spending time with Jesus after the resurrection, some years later, John writes this account of the life of Jesus, and he is, one of, he is the one that authored this verse. We see this verse at ball games. You see it all over. It's the most famous verse in the New Testament. And today, and this will take just a few minutes, I want to be able to take this one simple verse and explain, to, to help you know how to explain to someone what they need to know and what they need to do to become a Christian and have peace with God and have new life. This one verse has the whole message, and I would have you highlight four words as we go through, and you can highlight in your Bible, your Bible app, so that for the rest of your life, you can sit down with anyone, anywhere, and say, here's what you've got to know, here's what you've got to do. Now, before we jump in, let me just tell you what it's not. It's not attending church. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, you talk to people about Christianity, and especially with me as a pastor, suddenly they feel like I need to know all about their church attendance, whatever. It's just like, you know, I really ought to get back to church. Well, there are lots of very, very important reasons to be consistently involved physically in a church community and connected to a church body. But as the old saying goes, that attending church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a car uh, sleeping in a garage makes you a car. I mean, you sleep in the garage every night, you're not becoming a car. You know, you can put on that red 15 jersey 
wear it every day. You're not going to be Mahomes, okay? In the same way, you can attend church every single time. The doors are open. Be online every time we're online, every week, and never become a Christian. So that's not what we're talking about. Neither are we talking about getting your life together or straightening up. I mean, one of the reasons some of the people that I know, that we know and love, and we, we work with, the reason they have resisted Christianity is because they, the message they've received or heard or they equate it with is Christianity is you get your life together. And they've tried, and they're just not very good at it. I mean, some keep Christianity at an arm's distance because they think the Christians they know and respect are just so disciplined and well-behaved. It's like, I can't, like, I'm a three on the Enneagram. I can't be that disciplined and well-behaved. Like, to really be a Christian and accepted by God, i got to clean my life up and i got to get myself all together. Neither is it praying a prayer. Now, some of you were raised to believe that a Christian becomes a Christian simply by praying a prayer. It's like if I can just get my son or get my daughter or my granddaughter or my grandson or my neighbor or my coworker to pray this prayer, that box will be checked, and then they'll be a Christian, I'll done my part. Well, did you know, and it's okay to argue against this, I just dare you to go home and look it up for yourself. The worst thing that will happen is you will have read your Bible. But did you know there is no example in the whole Bible of someone praying a prayer to become a Christian? Not one. There is no reference in the New Testament about praying a prayer to become a Christian. You don't pray a prayer to become a Christian, and some of you think you're, think, you're kidding me, or like, you, like you're lying. Okay, see, we've made it complicated. We, we've made it so intangible and ethereal that people will go like, I, I, don't, I think I am one, I don't know if I am one or not, because we've distorted and confused the message. But in this one verse, Jesus, one verse, John answers the most important questions. What do you need to know, and what do you need to do? So John 3.16, here we go. For God so, and here's our first word, loved. Do you know what people who aren't Christians need to know? That God loved. Now, I I know about 80% of you are introverts, and this is way out of your comfort zone. You're going to wish you watched online. Men especially, we don't like being told what to do. But uh, And some of you, you're not sure exactly what you believe, but I want you to play along as well. Let's just say this out loud together. God loved loved. Let's say it out loud. God loved. John says that God loved, and he didn't just love a person or a people group or a nationality. No, it's bigger. That God loved the whole world. And this is good news. And this is good news because some people, and maybe you, are running from God because you're running from God because you think God is chasing you to get his hands on you. Like, like he's mad, that somehow God is coming after you because he's mad. And, and you know what? I'd run too. Like, I, I mean, it's a little silly to think about running from God. Jonah tried it. We, all, like, we just all do it. And it's because we miss the very first part of what we need to know to become a Christian and to be a Christian, as a Christian, that God wasn't ticked off at the world. If he was ticked off at the world, he would have ignored the world. You know, for, for God was so ticked off at the world, he didn't give him a dang thing. Like that, like God wasn't angry. God wasn't mad. God was in love. So God did what someone in love does. They give. And he gave us something. He gave his one and only 
son. So do you know what you need to know to become a Christian? What the people we love, do you know what they need to know to become a Christian and have peace with God? Two things. God loved the world. God gave his son. That's it. You don't need to know the names of the first two people on the planet and what their children's names were and how did they find wives and how did Noah get dinosaurs on the ark and really worldwide flood and, and here's all you need to know to become a Christian. God loved, so God gave. So let me say it, you repeat it. God loved the world. We're going to do that again. God loved the world. He gave His Son. See, specifically that He sent His Son to die for your sins and my sins, for our sins. That He gave what was most precious to Him for you and for me. See, that proves He wasn't chasing us to chastise us. He was chasing us to rescue us. I mean, have you ever been, I've raised four children and been around a lot of small humans in my life. Have you ever been in the vicinity of a small child who suddenly starts running towards the street or something dangerous? What do you do? Well, the first thing you do, especially as dads, we yell, okay? We, we yell at them to stop, not because you're mad, but because you're afraid. And when they don't stop, what do you do? You get off your butt and you chase them, and you pursue them as fast as you can. I mean, if you've ever done that, and then they look back, it's like, oh no, mom or dad's coming after me, and they run faster. And as a parent, you're terrified. It's like, I've got to get a hold of them before they get to the street. That is God pursuing us. For our good. God loved the world, so He gave His Son. That's all you have to know to become a Christian and have peace with God. And you go, well, I've got friends that don't believe that. That's okay. Let's just make sure that what they don't believe is the real issue. It's okay if they struggle to believe some of the stuff in Genesis necessarily. They can't sort out Revelation. And was Paul a chauvinist? I mean, it's just it's okay to wrestle with that. Those are interesting discussions for down the road that should happen. But the issue at hand is that God loved, so God gave. Because people who love give to those they love, right? That's what we need to know. So what do we need to do? And here's the next part. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, and then you actually highlight the next two words, believes in Him. That believes in Jesus, God's Son, shall not perish. What we need to know about God is that God loved, so God gave, and what we need to do to make peace with God, to become a Christian, is to believe in. Now, the interesting thing is, in the Greek, there's actually these two words, and, uh, oh, I actually brought the chair up already. Uh, There's a combination of these two words that's actually, prior to this, written, you don't find it in any other Greek writing in the time. So you've got the combination of believe, which is a verb, and then the preposition in. And these two words in English actually mean trust in, not believe that. 
They mean trust in. See, that's where so much of Western Christianity just got off the reservation of so much of what of Jesus intended originally. Somehow it all became about believing the right stuff. As long as I believe the right data, the right doctrine, the right theology, and I just believe correctly, God and I are golden. When all we have done is become accidental modern-day Pharisees. Because that was their entire approach. That's why they and Jesus could never get along. It's just why they organized His execution. Because it's bigger than belief. That's part of it. But it's trust in. We need to know that God loved. So God gave. And what we need to do is trust in. And, and the simplest picture I know, I've done, this, uh, I've done this before, and the question seems dumb, but I ask the question, am I trusting in this chair? No. If I, if I go all over the world and like hold the chair up and go, believe in this chair, I believe in this chair, am I trusting in this chair? No. Here's where a lot of our friends and family, maybe even some of you are. Like, I believe in Jesus. I, I go to Christmas and Easter services, so Grandpa and Grandma will stay off my back. And, you know, I moved to town from another town. I'm in college now, and so I can tell my parents, hey, I went to church, you know. Am I trusting in the chair? No. See, here, here's what it means. When John talks about trusting in, it's I put the full weight of my whole being, my whole life, my trust in. That how the chair goes, I go. And we're called to trust in Jesus to be able to make peace with God and become a Christian. So, I put my complete trust in, my belief in. That is, and I believe who God sent His Son, and I believe in what He had Him do on my behalf, and I believe that what He did on my behalf counts for me. That when He died, He died for my sin. So let's review. What do people need to know to make peace with God and become a Christian? We need to know God loved, so God gave. And then what do we do? It's two words. Believe in. So let's say this out loud together. God loved. So God gave. We believe in. You know what that means? It means it's not about promising God. It's about receiving His promise. It's about receiving a gift. Now, when someone gives you a gift at the end of the day, you now have something. You possess something. And John tells us what it is that we have as a result of trusting in Jesus. He says, whoever believes in Him shall not perish. That is, spend eternity apart from God, but have. That's the other word to highlight. At the end of the day, we have something. What do we have? Eternal life. Now, this is very important. So if you've gotten distracted, you need to hear this because this is so important. Eternal life in this context is not the promise of living forever. See, here's the good news and the bad news. Everyone lives forever somewhere. That's why Jesus came. 
Jesus came because everyone lives forever somewhere. And you know what's strange is whether you're a sold-out believer or a skeptic, that no matter what you believe about God or faith or the Bible, there's something in you that wonders, what's going to happen to me after I die? Now let's think about that question for just a second because let's be honest, it's kind of an odd question. I wonder what's going to happen to me after I die. It's like, have you, have you never been to a funeral? I mean, everyone knows what happens. I mean, most of you have seen what happens when you die. Like, like for some of us, they're going to put our body into a hot oven for about three to four hours, which will result into about four or eight pounds of ash, major weight loss, and they're going to put it in a container or you go a more traditional route, and they put makeup on you, and then they put you in a big box and keep the lid open and have people parade by and say, don't they look so good? And they're lying. And then they bury you. It's like we've seen the graves. Many of us in this room, we've buried loved ones. It's like you've seen skeletal remains. It's like, what do you, what do you mean what happens to you after you die. Why is it that in spite of all the empirical evidence that there is something in you and something in me that wonders what happens to me after I die? And it is because in your heart and your soul, as much as you may want to ignore it, fight it, or deny it, you know there is more to this life than this life, don't you? And you know, you know what my neighbors who aren't believers, your, your believers, your neighbors, your co-workers, your, your relatives, despite what they say and despite all their arguments in their heart of hearts when they're alone in their thoughts or they attend a funeral or somebody close to them has a near-death experience or, uh, or near, uh, an illness that might kill them, that they lay in bed and they wonder, what is going to happen to me after I die? And somehow, Simply being put in a box and buried or having their ashes scattered does not satisfy that curiosity. And the reason why is because we bear the thumbprint of God. We are eternal beings. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, He has set eternity in the human heart. That deep down, we know there is more to this life than this life. We are eternal beings made in His image. And the promise, the promise of what God gives us when we put our faith in Christ is not the promise of you get to live forever because everyone lives forever somewhere. What you and I are promised and what the lo- our loved ones are promised once we, once they put their faith in Christ is new life, God life, Christ life. It's brand new life, which translates into a brand new standing with God, which then that standing translates into a brand new perspective of how we view ourselves and how we view all the people around us and how we view life. You're given the righteous life of Christ before God, which is why when people become Jesus followers and become Christians, that over time they change, they transform It's like when you talk to someone who has put their trust in Christ, they never say, you know, I became a Christian, and the next day I was immediately disciplined and together. I didn't cuss anymore, and I became a Christian, and I really dug down, and I tried harder. Or, you know, overnight I became a totally different person. I mean, like one of my favorite stories was a a guy who got baptized, and they had one of those, like, with the steps down in the tank, and he's stepping up, and he slipped, and like he said like three or four cuss words, and somebody in the back yelled, baptize him again. And so it's just like, 
It's, this is not how it works. No, what, what almost always the story is that I became a Christian and then I began to change. It's like a year or two or three years later, I'm looking back and, or people that I know, they're meeting me or my per, the person I'm married to and relationship to, they're like, you're different. You, you, you've changed. And they go, I don't know what it was. I'll tell you what it was. You got new life. You got Christ's life. You got a way to handle situations and temptation differently. You got a brand new worldview. You began to see yourself and the people around you and the world around you differently. You began to see life differently and it begins to shape how you view and how you treat others, including people who are very different than you that don't look like you or think like you or act like you and the decisions that you make. You got the beginning of what God promised, eternal life. Not just heaven when you die. Now just to recap, What you need to know to become a Christian, God loved, so God gave. So what do you need to do? Believe in. And what do you get as a result? Eternal life. So let's make it even simpler. God loved, so God gave. We believe, we receive. Last time I'll make you do it. Let's just say it together. God loved, so God gave. We believe, we receive. Now, there it is. All right there in one verse. Now, here's an important question you've got to want to ask. It's like, okay, Chad, if it's that simple, why is this book so big? Well, one, it's large print, but why? Why, why didn't God like, send it on a, a three-by-five card? You know, why didn't he send it like in 140 or upgraded 280, you know, text tweet or a message or something? Why? Like, no wonder we're confused. It's like, have you ever tried to read this? Mohachi? I, just what, I mean, you read Genesis, it's like, oh, do I have to decide between science and the Bible? And what about dinosaurs? And you get to Leviticus, it's like, oh my gosh, no more bacon. I got to change my, my eating habits to be right with God. You get to the book of Revelation, it's like, oh my gosh, there's like seven-headed creatures and fire from heaven, no one's going to make it. You read the Apostle Paul and you go, he's, he's so confusing. I think he's a misogynist. I, I, I mean, no wonder we're so confused. Like, God, could it possibly be that simple? And the answer is yes. I mean, listen, the reason we have this amazing gathering of documents of what we call the Bible isn't to confuse us. I mean, the reason we have the Bible is so that we can know the epic story that's been unfolding from the beginning. Over hundreds and thousands of years of God loving a broken world and God preparing the world for Him to give us His Son to redeem man and womankind. Why? Because He so loved the world and you. And the New Testament is the story of men and women going out with that gospel, with that good news message to help inform us how then to live as men and women who have been given eternal life. It's a story of people's lives who were changed by Jesus, changed in the way, in such a way that it reflects the gift that God longs to give each and every one of us, the gift of new eternal life. The Bible is complicated at times, but salvation is not God loved, so God gave. 
We believe, we receive. And John anticipated the doubt that would rise up in our, our, our thoughts. And like, you know, when I read the Old Testament or based on what I know, I thought God was angry or mad. Some of you were raised in, in church backgrounds. That was, you know, again, as I've said, you know, God may love you, but he doesn't like you. So in this very next verse, John clears it all up, and I love this verse. And if you've memorized John 3.16, you should get 17 under your belt as well. John says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Do you know why? Because the world's already condemned. I, I, I mean, that would not have been new news. I mean, we just look around us and see it. If Jesus had shown up and said, you're condemned, you're all condemned, the world's condemned, you're separated from God, nobody would have written that down. It's like, we know that. I mean, some of you, many of you are still on social media, and you know those memory photos that pop up on social media, and they do for me, and I look at my body, my face, and my hair from just a few years ago, and I go, things are not going in the right direction. You know, I look what's going on in society, in other cultures. I mean, the world is screwed up. Genocide going on right now. Corruption, politics, pandemic, nuclear threat, child soldiers, ransomware, antidepressants, anti-anxiety, prescriptions, fentanyl overdoses and suicides at an all-time high. We know the world, the human race is broken. Everything is going the wrong way. Yeah, we may be making technological advances and even medical advances, but we know the world and relationally is going the wrong way. And we try to put both feet on the brakes to slow things down. There's like some type of force Something that's just carrying me and carrying you and carrying our world in the wrong direction. And politicians are powerless to change it. In fact, a lot of times, they're a big part of the problem. In fact, money doesn't fix it. Knowledge doesn't fix it. Our world is condemned. And deep down, we just know it. So Jesus is showing up and telling us that we're condemned. Like, what's the point of that? Jesus shows up and said, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God did not send Jesus because He was ticked. He sent Jesus because He was concerned. And you know what the big truth is of, the, of these verses? Is that from the beginning, we're already separated from God because of sin. And People don't spend eternity separated from God because of sin. People spend eternity separated from God because they haven't believed in and received the free gift of eternal life. That is the issue. That is why we have to become fishers of men. That is why we have to talk about it. And if your resistance is, which I've talked to people, and this is their resistance, is, well, what about the people in remote areas that never hear? Listen, I can't answer that question. But I do believe that my God and your God is trustworthy, that in the end He will make things right. But ironically, for some of us, this becomes an excuse to not talk or just dismiss God rather than let it motivate us. That's the irony, to motivate us, to become fishers of men, to make sure that we do all that we can do, to make sure people do know. 
Because there is a solution for sin. There's a solution for separation from God. It's all been paid for. And the reason the gospel is called good news is not because it's about perform better and be better and do better and attend something and pray something. No. The reason why it is called good news is because it starts with this. God loved. That's good news. And it gets better. He loved so much that He gave. And that's what you do when you're in love. And so our response is to simply trust in, to believe. And we go, there's got to be more to it. This is a bait and switch. It's too simple. No, if we believe, we receive eternal life. That's it. And that's incredible. Now, granted, we're going to share this with people that are going to go, I don't believe that. That's fine. But let's just make sure that we are keeping the main thing the main thing. And that what they don't believe is the core of this. I don't believe that God loves, so God gave. And if I believe, I received. Let's make sure that if they don't believe, that is the focus. And not all of this other peripheral stuff in the Old Testament or New Testament, things we wrestle with, because let's just be honest, we're not sure what we believe about it either. Because it's hard. And it's confusing. It's from other ages and cultures that we're trying to work it through. But it's a lifetime process. A lifetime process of learning and applying and growing and allowing God to shape and transform us and help us understand things. And let us take seriously and accept our big assignment of being fishers of men. Because if we're a Christian, our responsibility is clear. We are to live it out and then we're to lay it out. We're to live it out, and when we get the opportunity, we are to lay it out. Just live it out, and then lay it out. That's our big assignment. So I, I actually lied. My notes say I'm going to do this, so let's say it one last time. It's on the screen. God loved, so God gave. We believe, we receive. It's that simple. It's not complicated. And yes, people in your life, they're not going to bite, they're not going to believe, but it's extraordinarily simple. And my hope is for the rest of your life that you could just take that one verse and maybe sit with someone over coffee or something, write it down on a napkin and just circle those words, God loved, God gave, if you, if you believe you receive eternal life. And if you're here today or you're listening online and you think, I never really knew it was that simple. I was told it was like a whole lot of other things, but I can believe that. I do believe that. Then I would just say, let me, let me ask you, if, if God wants a relationship with you, wouldn't he make it simple? And today, if you thought for the first time, you know, I, I believe that. And again, I've always thought it was all this other stuff that I had to believe. Well, then I would just love to invite you to give you the opportunity to seal the deal. I, I want to invite the musicians to come on up. And as they do, they're, they're going to they're gonna sing a great song, and you're welcome to sing with them. A great song that just encompasses and captures everything that we've talked about this morning. And, and, and during this next song, just out loud or in your head, I mean, you're watching at home, I mean, you're by yourself anyways, but in your heart or your mind, out loud, However, just you can just simply say, God, I mean, I'm not even going to ask you to pray a specific prayer. Just say, God, I believe. God, I, I believe you love me.
I believe you sent your son to die for me, and I put my trust in him. And your heavenly Father will honor that simple faith that you just received, this simple truth with this extraordinarily simple and significant good news in the world, the greatest it's ever been. That's the starting point. And, and like every wedding, you know, comes a marriage. After every birth comes growing and maturing and growing, a new relationship, that begins. And the great news is this is a two-way relationship that God wants to interact with you and interact with me on a daily basis, that new life exists because, to be your community as, as an option, to be your community of people who will love you and encourage you and support you and walk alongside you in this journey that we're on ourselves and guide you in that process. And what opens that door is for you to make that confession to God and then just simply approach another believer, somebody close in your life, and, and share this decision, a Christian you respect, respect and trust, and share the decision and just ask them to, in a sense, come alongside you to to help point you in the right direction as you begin this pursuit and engage God in your life. And then for all of us, the rest of us, just let's make it our goal that for the rest of our lives, that the people that we know and love, if they decide to reject Christianity, which many people will, let's make sure they're rejecting Jesus' version of fellowship and discipleship and being a Christian. And not some other thing that Jesus never intended. God loved. So God gave, we believe, we receive. Let's pray. Father, I am I'm just so thankful for John. I thank you for the men and women through the centuries that made sure that we have these words to know and to know what you've done for us. And so, Father, I pray for everyone of us, every one of us, everyone listening to my voice, that God, that you truly would drive it deep into our hearts and minds every single day. Because, Father, even for those of us that are convinced and we're confident, there are still days, especially over the last two years, where that it can waver a bit because things can seem so broken and out of control. And, Father, there can be a sense of hopelessness. And so, Father, I pray every day, this is, this is just song, God, that you would return us just back to that moment that we have a living hope, that we have a promise, that no matter what is going on around us, that you are with us and that you are for us now and in the future. And Father, I pray for the people in our lives that you have positioned us specifically to be the one that's developed enough trust and relationship with them that they'll listen to us, that you'll cause us to be courageous and to trust you with the outcome, and that you would guide us in every conversation, every word, and every opportunity to serve and be your hands and feet in their life, and that you would lead all of that, and that we would be able to be a part of someone's story, of that defining moment of trusting in you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.